Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you today on this Friday, June the 25th of 2020. Uh, we are here uh, hoping, and I think we're going to be concluding our series that began uh, last week um, on Wednesday. And this is now, I believe, now our eighth um, podcast on this series, if I'm not mistaken. Fernando, Brother Marty, I believe this is our eighth one. And yes, we have seen, right. praise God, and we have gleaned so much, so much from this parable. And, and I believe God has been speaking in, in such a manner, not just to us, but to those that are that are listening. So we are delighted that you could join us today as we get ready to go into the weekend. Uh, as always, something is always happening. Something is always taking place. Right before the the podcast, we were speaking amongst ourselves of this big uh, this Sahara Desert wind that come from dust storm that come from the Sahara Desert that they have named Godzilla Godzilla, and and that's because the immense <laughs> the immensity of it, you know, and it shall be falling here, including on the Gulf of Mexico, around the southern part of the United States. So uh, with this, we don't know what this is going to cause and what consequences are going to happen because of that. But that's just one of the many things that are taking place around the world. And so we we realize that for such a time like this, how important it is to come together and speak on these things and study the Word of God and hear what God is saying in this hour. So that's why we are honored and that's why we, we know that it is good that we come together to hear what God is saying in this hour. I'm excited about today. As always, it is a privilege and an honor always to share here the panel with the panel of Brother Marty, Brother Fernando, to come together and study the Word of God. So, Brother Marty, we'll leave it up to you to share uh, what God has placed in your heart to share with God's people as we study the Word of God together. Yes, praise the Lord. We we reached the end of another week. It's quite amazing. We've been going since March 15th, I think, or 19th, somewhere in there. And the Lord has been been faithful. We are definitely living in a time and a and a season uh that is very unique uh and and very different from from that which has come before us. And the whole world has changed and continues to change. And that is what has led us to this series of podcasts and specifically the last eight, today being number eight podcasts in which we're looking at the, the 10 virgins that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 25, five being wise, five being foolish. <clears throat> we're going to come quite possibly to the conclusion of this today, uh, this series. And, and today you're going to hear some things. Uh, that are going to challenge you. They're going to cause you to maybe pause and and reflect on 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 where we are in this country, in this nation, and what is ahead uh, for this country and the rest of the world. And the Lord has revealed these things in His Word, and specifically in Matthew 25. That is what we are seeing. It is extraordinary what Christ revealed here. And we, we encourage you to go back and to review the last seven podcasts to get a full and more complete picture of what we're, we're going to conclude with today. 
And so as we enter into this, we just ask that you would be prayerful, reflective, and and really focus uh, as the Lord leads, because what we're about to discuss uh, will challenge uh, a lot of things. But again, it is not our intention to be sensational or to, uh, you know, to, to, to try and frighten anybody. It is our desire, above all, to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ and to point his true church, that mysterious body of Christ all over the world, to the fact that he is soon to return and that we are looking for that blessed hope. We're looking for him and for his kingdom and for his everlasting promise that we would be with him forever. This is the hope of the church. This is the hope of every believer. And somewhere along the line, we forgot that the word of God teaches us there is an end to this madness that we see breaking out all around us. There is a completion to the word of God, and it it completes with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The universe and everything that has been made, both seen and unseen, all of it belongs to God, and all of it has been set aside for his church and those who make it through. And that is our prayer, that while we have time, that these podcasts are stirring all of us to really pause and take a look at what is actually happening and to care enough, first and foremost, to search our hearts and to ask him to make us into what he wants us to be, to let go of the sins that so easily beset us. And there is none of us righteous, no, not one, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he has made a way. And while there is still light, we must be about the master's business and we must put ourselves in that position where we will be uh, counted amongst those worthy to escape the things which are transpiring on the face of the earth and are yet to be. And in that as well, to pray for our loved ones, to pray for our children, to pray for our, our parents, our grandparents, our aunts, uncles, cousins, our communities. Because as the Lord said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? And so God has made a way through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And while we have time, as the Lord said, today is the day of salvation. And so that is our, our, our endeavor, and that has always been what we feel the Lord is, is causing us to do in all the many and differing ways that we've been trying to express what we feel the Lord is telling us. And so as we get into this today, we pray that, that as, as we bring a, a conclusion to this portion of what we've been talking about that it would challenge you and most of all, encourage you to know that Jesus is coming. And so we're going to conclude today, and I'm going to have Brother uh, Jeremy, if you don't mind, begin with verse 6 again and, and, and just read all the way to verse 13, would you? And then we'll get into our study. Yes, in the name of Jesus. And that, <clears throat> and that midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, And they that were ready 
went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Praise God in Jesus' name, Amen. So, again, we're we're going to begin uh, today, and we're going to go through a little bit of a review as we bring uh, this to a conclusion. The, what it said in verse ten is very, very profound. Where it says, "They that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut." So we have revealed there that 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 time is is at hand, and 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 that when it comes, it will be. Uh, it'll be over. I mean, basically, the door will be shut, and the opportunity uh, from that point on uh, to to be saved has been taken from the earth, and that is a scary thing. But as we begin this again, we, we we've been talking about the three questions that were asked to the Lord by His disciples on the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24, verse 3. We encourage you to have your Bibles and, and to review as we as we teach. Uh, what the Lord has given us prayerfully and humbly submitted to you. So as we were we were exploring those three questions, we've been focusing in on the third question that was asked, which is what would be the sign of the end of the world or the end of the age? And so when we get to chapter 25, and again, we encourage you to review these podcasts, the last seven especially in today's, uh, what we are seeing is Jesus's response to that third question. There were three questions, remember, uh, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? And what shall be the sign of, of the end of the world, you know, just before you come? And so when he gets to uh, chapter 25, that's basically what he's talking about. He begins to unfold that the, the revelation and answer to that third question as he begins to unfold this story called the wise and the foolish virgin. And so what we first began to discuss, it was in verse 1, is that as it says in verse 1, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five were wise and five were foolish. And as we discussed before, we, we pointed out how the Lord uses very interesting descriptive language here as he begins to speak uh, you know, precisely in order to communicate something to us. First, he begins to reveal to us that something sends all 10 of these virgins out to go meet the bridegroom. And and what we pointed out is that they they set off, but it has not been commanded that he's coming. And so what we were talking about as as we reviewed, that we believed that what what the Lord is talking about here is that future church, because remember what he says in, in 25.1, he says, then, speaking of the future, that king, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. We talked about 10 virgins representing a full and complete expression of the church, which would be alive and, and flourishing at the end of time, because that's the question he's asking or answering, which he was asked. What will be the sign of the end of the age or the end of the world? So he begins by talking about the church itself. Those that have been engaged and espoused to the bridegroom have now reached a completion or a fullness, signified by the number 10. 
he then draws our attention in verse 2 right away that there's five wise, there's five foolish. But what was interesting, which we explored at length, was that they went forth to meet him, which is different language than he uses in verse 6, where Brother Jeremy just read, that there is at midnight a cry made that the bridegroom is coming, go ye out to meet him. So the difference between verse 1 and verse 6 is very striking, because verse 1 is a clue to us that something triggers these these 10 completed full expressions, if you will, of the church at the end of time, it triggers them with an anticipation that he's coming and they set off of their own accord. And, and as, as opposed to verse six, where an actual distinct message is being given that says he is coming, now get up and go meet him. So what that implied, as we discussed before, was that, that their prophetic timing was off. And we likened it to the beginning of the 20th century. We talked about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that began in 1904 in Wales. We actually talked about, as we came to the conclusion of the 1800s into the 1900s, that there was a great awakening that took place in America, because much of what we're discussing right now has centered around our nation and what's actually happening to us. And so we're learning a lot and gleaning from these stories. But nonetheless, 1904, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens. 1906, the famous Azusa Street Revival. 1917, Jerusalem is, is recaptured, taken out from underneath the control of Islamic forces, Turkey and the like. And then for the first time in over 2,000 years, the Western Church, the Judeo-Christian Western Church, took possession of Jerusalem. 1917, under the, under the uh, armies and forces of Great Britain, of England, led by General Allenby. And we discussed that in our earlier podcast. But what we talked about there is that that quite, uh, quite possibly could have been that initial uh, going forth to meet the bridegroom, as we discussed at length, the early theologians at the beginning of the 20th century felt that these signs, these, these distinct moves of the Holy Spirit in Wales and Azusa Street, the recapturing of Jerusalem, which had not been in the control of Christian or Jew for over 2,000 years. And so it alerted the church of the early 20th century that something was happening, something extraordinary was taking place. And they assumed, because we read a few passages from uh, from a couple of books I have in my library here just to lay some background uh, of how they anticipated that Jesus was about to come at any moment. But he didn't. He didn't come. Even though a big portion or a big uh, sign post, if you will, of prophetic event had occurred in the early 1900s, the capturing of Jerusalem, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a way the church hadn't seen since the book of Acts, so to speak, had occurred, it wasn't the... the uh, the exact moment that Jesus w would return, but yet they thought it was. And so Jesus seems to be <clears throat> revealing this uh, as he goes on in his story, because he says, while in verse five, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and they all slept. And we talked about that, right? <clears throat> they had anticipated his, his revival, uh, his arrival, they go out of their own accord. And if you go back and study history of the early 20th century, you'll see that. You'll see that all kinds of discussion was taking place. Whole denominations were born in anticipation of it. You had crazy moves of, of, of the early preachers of those days taking people off into the mountains because they were expecting Jesus to return at any moment. And all of these things happening. 
missionaries going all over the world. The, you know, the charismatic Pentecostal churches were born, the denominational world getting stronger, so forth and so on. All of that happened at the beginning of the 20th century. And many of the writings that you'll read from, from scholars and theologians and the commenters on scripture of that time were all eagerly anticipating that the Lord was about to return. And so they began to adjust themselves and, and many kind of cult-like things arose out of that. But the point we're trying to make here is that Jesus revealed that was going to happen, that they would set off at the end of time thinking he was about to return, but nobody told them that. And so what we talked about that was that their timing was off. And this is why when they began to wane in their anticipation, when the emotion and the excitement of prophetic events being fulfilled at such an extraordinary level began to wane and began to fall away, Jesus uses the descriptive language in, in Matthew 25, 5, where he says they began to slumber, which means they began to nod off. They gradually began to to fall asleep and wake up, to fall asleep and wake up, until finally the period of time has passed throughout the 20th century where he didn't return, almost 100 years. And the church in that generation uh, fell asleep. That's what he said. They all slumbered and they all fell asleep. But then into this sleep, into this absolute silence now, and, and the quite the opposite, the enthusiasm of going to meet the bridegroom had had waned because in their minds he had been ter- he had tarried he wasn't coming when they thought he was and so they fall into this deep sleep and then Jesus in verse six where Brother Jeremy began to to read he says uh, at midnight something happens something shatters the silence and something uh, so profoundly uh, powerful begins to take place. A triggering event, midnight representing the darkness of the world. But more than that, as we've discussed in our earlier podcast, is also symbolic of the midnight of the Passover season. And the reason that we said the Passover season was because Jesus is telling this story from the Mount of Olives during the Passover season. Remember, the Lord was crucified on Calvary during Passover. He, he is, as John the Baptist called him, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So when he begins to give this story to his disciples, it's during that Passover season. So when he mentions midnight, it automatically is fresh in their minds because that's what they rehearsed every time they, they, they celebrated the Passover. Every time they would sit down and, and have the Passover, they would rehearse their deliverance from from Egypt uh, by the mighty hand of God. And so when he referenced at midnight, again, we have to understand it from that perspective. And we began to glean some, some powerful truths. I think that was our fourth podcast where we talked about the Passover connection and the 10 and the 10 virgins that Jesus is revealing here. And one of the things that we pointed out that Jesus is hearkening to is that it was at midnight that not only deliverance was coming to the children of Israel, but at midnight, the same thing, uh, the destroyer was released and brought great judgment and death to Egypt, which is a type of the world. We talked about the cry being made at midnight, which symbolized a message coming into existence, a loud message that suddenly shatters the, the silence of the night and, and, and is so outside the norm that it appears on the scene precisely when it needs to. Because the church, both the good and bad part of it, is absolutely asleep, and it necessitates a, a, a moving of the Spirit of God and a declaration of God that they need to wake up. We talked about the threefold message. 
in verse 6 of what the the voice that's crying says. He says, behold, that's the first thing he said, right? The second thing was the bridegroom is coming. And then the third thing right. is what? Go ye out to meet him. We address right. that word behold, right? Because behold uh, was the first component of the message Jesus was trying to draw our attention to. Because the word behold literally means to wake up, to look around, and to actually discern what it is that you're seeing. See, they were in such a position of sleep, which is very much like today, because we're talking about the end of the world. And that's what we're putting forth as our thesis and have over the last eight podcasts, is we have come up under this situation. And the church, for all intents and purposes, is absolutely asleep. And so the message is necessary. And we believe we're playing just a tiny part in this, actually. But there are many, many others out there that are awakening up. And others are hearing uh, in their parts of the world what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Wake up and look, because this is not like any other time that you've been experiencing. And that's why we're looking at this, because this is specifically what Jesus said would be happening. He likened it to midnight. He revealed that the church would be asleep. He says that events of that midnight hour would be of such a nature that it would cause a shaking to to take place around the world, but specifically designed to wake up his church and to, to pose the question or to declare to them, you're asleep and you're not looking at things the right way. You don't even know what's going on. So his first thing he says is behold, in other words, wake up and get some discernment up underneath you, man. You need to look around and see it's midnight, right? It's midnight. (laughs) So then the second thing he says is he brings sense to what it is they're supposed to discern. The bridegroom is coming. And we talked about that being the hardest thing for people to wrap their heads around, especially in the United States of America, which is where this message is going to conclude. This eighth podcast, when we're done, we're, we're, we're dealing with our nation. We're dealing with this nation, and as we go along, we'll see. But the bridegroom is coming. And now that's the first time we hear that the actual bridegroom is coming in 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 this whole story. Verse one, they go out to meet the bridegroom, but there was no message saying his return is imminent. What makes verse one and verse six different is that fact that by the time we get to verse six, midnight has arrived. An an outside-the-box message suddenly appears. Events are of such a nature that it's darkness, but it's also foretelling that a deliverance is coming just like it did in the days of the children of Israel when they were let go out of slavery. He's trying to alert the church to wake up and understand the time has arrived. The generation of the end is here. The final church is about to be woken up and told Jesus is coming. That is the difference between verse 1 and verse 6. And the behold is to get us to be alert that we need to discern something. The bridegroom cometh is that which we need to discern. That's so easier to say than to actually penetrate the hearts and minds of people who are not used to thinking in such terms. Somewhere along the line, Christianity became much more of a, of a life choice or a philosophical mode or, or 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 a way or a mode of living which which simply just seems to include you know poetic platitudes and 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 philosophical concepts from the word of god that'll make my life better here on the earth but okay. that's not scripture right yes. scripture says 
that there is light, there is darkness, there's a beginning, there's an end. And the end culminates with wrath being poured out on human history and, and the earth and his church, his bride, being caught away by him and preserved and, and to live and, and reign and rule with him forever in all the multiple everlasting ages that are yet to come. The bridegroom is coming, and right? Yes. And that's what he was pointing out. So then he goes into verse, the, the, third, the third thing that he says after the bridegroom cometh is the command what to do. The first thing is wake up and check it out and, and, get, and get an understanding of the times you're living in. The, the second thing, the bridegroom cometh, is the explanation of what's actually taking place. And then the third thing, go you out to meet him, is specific as to how we respond to it and, and embrace the message. So it's there that we began to talk about in, in verses 7 through 9, right? He says that's where separation suddenly begins to take place. Separation the between morning. the true and yeah. separation between the false churches. Go ahead. I think also, just thinking about it, you know, we're talking about this end time message, the message that uh, begins to awaken the, the, the ten virgins. I think there's trepidation in people as well because uh, the misuse of, of, of coining, uh, especially, you know, and what we see in Christian television is a lot of preachers like to use. This is the end time message. This is the, this is the message to the <laughs> church today. Right. right? Yeah. And, and, they, and they've misused that so much and, and people have, have gone with it and, and believed it and, and just led them nowhere. So when they actually hear, you know, uh, uh, phrases like that this is the end time message this is the message that you need to hear for today you know they don't know what to make of it right, right and, the message of and, the hour right? <laughs> right the message of the hour and, and so forth but uh i think that all of that is part of the great deception and that's why jesus makes it very clear that it's a message that brings separation Yes. Right. Between the five foolish and the five wise. Um, and so, yes, there is an end time message that that that's going to come forth. Now, the responsibility is left on the person now uh, yeah. to 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 do their own studying, to seek God with all of their heart uh, so that they can they'll have the ears to hear that message and be a part or be part of those that group that is composed of the five wise versions. No, that's really good and, and that's exactly right. And and you know, it is the message itself, right? And that we began to see and discuss that when the message goes out that, that the Lord is on his way, it literally triggers something in the spirit realm, if you will, that begins to pry apart the 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 wise from the foolish it is this message up under a midnight hour and all that that pertains that we've already discussed at length but it is what you said it is the separation and 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 like you said it's a very good point that what has transpired really and we discussed a little bit about this yesterday and over the last several podcasts over the last 30 40 years especially you know, the, the, there was a transition as a result of the slumber that began to come upon the church as to what was being preached and the kinds of words that were being used, like you just described, that, that have become so religious in their own right that you use particular words now that pertain to the coming of the Lord, and they don't hear it that way. 
hey, here's something else. Like we were just saying, right? The message of the hour, or this is what God is doing in this hour. <laughs> and and then they go on and make up something stupid, <laughs> but they've heard right. that for so long, right? So, but that's why Jesus drew that distinction, which is what I think you're saying, as he did in verse six, that what the message is and must be is that the bridegroom cometh, that he's on his way. It's almost as if it shatters a society and a culture out of its complacency and it also confronts the foolish with something mm-hmm. that that they're not it, remotely in the ballpark of even thinking that way. Were you going to say something, Brother Jeremy? No, no, no. I'm listening, Brother. I'm, I'm, okay. Yeah. They're not even in the they're not even in the ballpark of thinking that way. You go to the major denominations today, or even the corner church, which has been highly influenced, but by the the big time hyper charismatic and, and Pentecostal right. churches of the hour. They're all acting the same. They're all preaching the same message. They're all, you know, your best life now. Your your bikini, uh, your bikini wearing mom. You know, your 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 stay at home dads. I mean, the effeminization of the men and the masculinity of the women. I know we're gonna get in trouble by saying those kinds of things, but you know, or, or or your best business. You know, how to grow your business. You know, how to how to lose weight in ten easy steps. How, how to you know how to raise straight A's to all of it. All of it has nothing to do with Jesus. None of it. But that is what they came into the church with, the foolish. And 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 really, we don't lay the blame at the people's feet. We lay the blame at at, at a compromised ministry that has long ago left the precepts and the foundational truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and given themselves over to some sort of pseudo spiritual pop psychology kind of thing. 20-minute sermonettes with 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 highly enhanced video representation and laser beams and smoke bombs and and dancing bears and juggling clowns, man. I mean, that's what you get in most churches today. Oh, and throw in a few community outreach efforts, and you're really being a Christian. No, that's not Christianity, man. But this is what has caused the people to fall asleep. Oh, it grows the church quickly because there's oh, yeah. absolutely right there's no there's no requirement there's no uh, but like brother wilkerson used to say there's no smiting of sin you know i mean there's, 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 there's no conviction of the holy ghost right you know all that stuff he used to say but uh yeah. yeah i mean if i can come in and and you know spend my week you know hanging with my buddies you know drinking beers with, with my pastor at the local bar and throw out a few Jesus because that's we're cool we're relevant now right we all got matching tattoos that say Moses was the man you know whatever I mean you think that's <laughs> Moses was the man <laughs> <laughs> I mean you think that's how I mean I know that sounds crazy but that's what's going on man I mean that's really what's happening around the world and it's infected the whole world go ahead brother what are you saying <laughs> no you know it reminds me growing up brother uh, um, I'm 45 years old, so uh, towards the late 70s, early 80s, I still remember vividly the coming of the Lord being preached. But then what right. happened, there was a transition. As people began to transition uh, to pop psychology and, and how to grow your church, little by mm. little, they began to isolate the people who were seeking the Lord. I remember even being my family being questioned for having... Um, 
for having uh, services, prayer services with other brothers at the home, and we'd be we'd be criticized, you know, as yeah. you know, and isolated as extreme or as religious or as whatever, you know, until yeah. until all of these things uh, fill the church, and and you wonder why people the me- why the message of Jesus coming again is foreign to them is because it's it's not something that happened overnight. It's it was a systematic little by little, um, uh, you know, putting aside those things and focusing more, as you said, brother, on the inner parts of man. Now we have life coaches, psychologists preaching to us, you know, and <laughs> yeah. and, and 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 so forth, you know. But that that's the consequence. That's the consequence, you know. And we discourage that seeking the Lord with your families, praying with other brethren, you know, and and keeping that fire. But it's it's been lost. It's been it has lost. been lost, and and at the same time, you know that is what this whole midnight cry is about. It is the yeah. eminent cry, the eminent shout of the spirit, and those who can hear it can hear it. Those who can't will simply become offended, or as we'll see in the story which we've been talking about, they are going to be separated from the truth. And we're not talking about some sort of el- elitist religious attitude here. That's not what we're talking about because what we're talking about goes far beyond that. We're not trying to label. We're not trying to to to, to destroy. We're trying to identify something with accurate words, what the Spirit of God is trying to do, what he's, what he's trying to say in these passages of Scripture. This is serious stuff. Yeah, this, is where, this is where your faith is challenged. And where it's a deeper, a, right? It, Brother Marty, you know the the modern day preacher. How would they twist this parable? Uh, they'll, they'll they'll teach the five foolish being as type of those coworkers at work that don't like you. You know what I mean? Right. And, and yeah. it, has, <laughs> it has nothing that to do so with true. that. that is yeah, so yeah, it has nothing true. to do with that. No, you're you know, right, that's, man. That's that's the kind of gospel we have today. You know, mm-hmm. what well, God has blessed you with, you keep it, you know, and, and make sure nobody takes it from you. And, and you're going to prosper yeah. at work and you're going to prosper in your marriage. You're going to have those foolish virgins always criticizing you. No, that's not what it oh. is. This is, like yeah. you said, it, this is serious. Yeah. Serious wow. stuff right here. Yeah, so because yeah, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not anyone but the Lord himself telling this story. Right. right. It, it's him. It's the master. Right. It's the bridegroom himself saying this is what it's going to be like at the end of the world. And and, and, and the faith of people is being examined. It is designed. That's what the trimming of the lamp is. It's what it exposed. Right. In verse seven, they, they, they wake up, they hear the voice, they hear the message, and then they begin to trim the lamp. And we talked about that at, at, at length as well. It, 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 in another aspect, that's what's happening. It, the lamp is the word of God, as we talked about uh, Psalm 119, verse 62, comparing scripture with scripture. Thy word is a lamp unto yeah. my feet. Jesus is speaking symbolically. When they go to the word and they begin to trim it, that, that's in effect, you know, another way of looking at your faith and what you believe or thought you believe or thought you understood about the word of God has to be re-examined in these times. The very essence of what you claim to believe is being challenged. 
and and also what is being revealed is to what extent what you thought you believed you're suddenly beginning to question as do I really believe this or not mm-hmm. right and apart right and apart from the essence of the real which is those who love the lord and have begun to awaken because it's the spirit of god in us that wakes us up and begins to reveal he must bear witness with your heart you remember the story of the road to Emmaus after Jesus rose from the dead and there was the two guys walking down the road and the account mm-hmm. is given, and I believe it's in John, John's gospel, where they, after spending that walk with Jesus, they didn't recognize him at first, but as he began to open the word to them and then they brought him into the house and when he broke bread, suddenly they could see that it was the Lord and he disappeared from them. What they said about the walk on the road was, Did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us? It is that that we're talking about, their very own testimony, that the scripture bears witness with your heart. Your heart bears witness with the scripture. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So when you hear the word being presented and, and making sense, and it is the spirit that is burning in your heart and your mind, and how you respond to that is vital. In this case, what happens as the midnight cry goes forth and the message, which which must be embraced now, because that's what right. we're talking about. That's what Jesus is saying, because how they act reveals where they're at. But that's it right. must be embraced. It separates them. It it actually puts a wedge between them. And this is where this is where people are going to have a hard time in this time, because we have. You know, and the kind of wedge we're talking about here, we're not talking about shunning your neighbors and, you know, forget that dude across the street, you know. I mean, that's not what we're talking about here. But we are saying that the very essence of what will happen, the fruit of your pressing in at this time, it will cause what you've known to this point to begin to be separated from you. You can't make this happen or you'll be a religious kind of fool, right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about the light that you possess. It can no longer hang out with those who don't, good, bad, or indifferent. Because what we're talking about is the return of the king. And the events that are going to lead up to that return have already begun. And the adjustments are vital to be made for you, for your family, for your loved ones, for your children, for your children's children. That's how serious it is. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And that's why your faith and my faith gets challenged. Because the mind, the soul reaches that point where it can cannot go beyond. Not yet at least. But the spirit on the inside of you knows something that cannot be logically processed. That's faith. That's the stirring of the heart and the working of the spirit, and it is unique and distinct, Jesus is saying in this story, at the midnight hour, just prior to his coming, at the end of the age, at the end of the world. And it's a, it's a radical pulling apart. And he begins to expose that those who were hanging out with the wise, the five foolish, like we talked about yesterday, what this begins to see, what we begin to see is is a separation takes place and suddenly the wise begin to realize that's what verse nine is verse nine is revealing 
where it says, but the wise told the foolish who were demanding that they give them of their oil, right? They said, give us of your oil because our lamps have gone out. We have no light. Our lamps aren't lit. Our word has no revelation. We have no insight. And it's at that moment that the aggressive nature of what Jesus calls the foolish, and remember he called them foolish from the beginning of the story. But it's not until this moment that the wise realize, I can't fellowship with these people. I can't give them of my oil. That's what verse 9 said. The wise answered saying, no, uh, unless there's not enough for us and for you, you go to them that buy and sell. And we talked about this yesterday. The phrase uh, uh, where it says, the wise answered, it literally means that they began to conclude and to understand something about the fellowship that they had been having with the foolish and about the times and the message that had just been given to them. They began wow. to conclude something. They began to understand their times. And, and that's what we're talking about. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the wise. Because what we learn from this also is the cautious nature that we're going to need to possess. Jesus said you're going to need to be wise as serpents and yet harmless as, as doves. You need to be uh, understanding the time. You need to be understanding that we have entered and crossed over into the, into the rapids, if you will, uh, of our time. And, and, and things are transpiring quickly and changing extremely fast. And, and so he says that they say, they answer saying, no way, we can't give you our oil. And again, that word answer literally means they come to a conclusion. This is the leading of the spirit. The concluding thought, the estimation, the understanding what Jesus is revealing here is the wise that have oil, the true believer in Christ, he is going to be enhanced by an impartation of the Spirit, right? Yeah. He's suddenly going to become, it's a, it's a transformative impartation of revelation. This is one of the reasons that the Apostle Paul prayed so earnestly when people got saved. He said, I would that you would be filled right, with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that you might know what is the hope of his calling, right, and what the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. This is I what he's about, talking Yes. I think about Jesus and his wisdom and his ability to discern, even in his own inner circle. Yes. Right? He, he was able to see uh, who was behind Peter when uh, when Peter was being used of Satan. Uh, right. he, he knew he knew who would uh, betray him. He told he told uh, Judas, "Whatever you do, it do you, whatever you have to do, do it quickly." So it we quickly. see the wisdom. We see the wisdom of God in 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 Jesus and in, in His humanity and being well aware. Because you're speaking about this enhancement of, of, of discernment uh, to be able to see what's taking place. Because mm -hmm. he, he had to discern everything that was happening around him because he, he understood that everything was ultimately designed by the enemy to stop him from fulfilling his purpose and going to the cross. Yes, sir. Right? That's and and we, we're, we're called. We're being called. 
out. We're, we're, we're being called to go out to meet the bridegroom. And we have to understand that that is what the enemy is going to try to stop. He's going to try to hinder and, and, and use people. And I'm not talking about the world here. I'm talking about people that are very near and dear to you. You know, yeah. they allow themselves to be used. Yeah. And it's going to it's going to be a very it's going to be a very difficult and emotional situation when you have to break away from even loved ones. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and, yeah. This, and this is what we're talking about. It's that enhanced uh 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 wisdom discernment in in the five virgins to be able to discern why they're being asked what they're being asked, who is asking it from them concerning the oil. Uh so it's it's such a powerful uh, revelation that 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 we're speaking about here, and and and, I, yeah. and that's exactly what Scripture is telling us right there. So I'll, I'll take heed and and pay close attention because I, this is yeah. where I believe God is taking His people and and, and yeah. those that are listening to us right now. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. That's that's an excellent point. That in the Lord, that's that's what we see. You know, the wise uh, are as He's revealing, like you said, when they answer the foolish, they tell them. Not so. They answer them. They come to the conclusion. That's process. You know, that's process of an arrival. You know, these these are the deeper parts of the spirit and interaction with the Holy Spirit. Because remember, they have oil, right? <laughs> that's why they're able to come right. to conclusions. Right? Uh, all the all the foolish can do is react in a highly emotional state. They have no oil. They have no relationship. They never did. It is indicative. Right. You know, what's really interesting is it is indicative of the size of their crowd is equal to the size of the true church. <laughs> I don't want to go off too far on that. But it's interesting because he's talking about midnight and he's talking about the end of the world. And he's talking about two classifications, uh, one one true and one false. But the false is, is just as big, right? But But they don't have oil. And, 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 and it's this that is exposing it. And, and what Jesus reveals here is when this happens, you have to be uh, keenly aware, like the wise are, and they come to that conclusion. That's the leading of the spirit, the conclusion. And, and I'll, throw like, this, I'll throw this in there too, Brother Marty, the five and five. It speaks also of, of you have to be keenly aware. The, the, the difference is a fine line. Right, mm. they they almost look like us, but they're not. But they're right? not. Right, and you have to make that uh, uh, assessment. So I guess that's why the five and five uh, can apply too. Yeah, and 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 we saw and we saw what we talked about the other day. We 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 speculated, right? It was like, okay, well, you know, if you don't have oil, you would think you'd get behind one of the five and follow them. But they don't. They just don't. Uh, that just blows my mind. Because if I didn't have any oil and I wanted to go meet the bridegroom because I knew he was really coming, I'd say, okay, I'll follow, I'll follow you. Or, or at least I'd linger behind if they didn't want me around them. I'd find some way to get there. But we, <laughs> but they don't do that. Right, right, right. right, right, because, right. because they don't care. They really don't. They're not up in it for that. It shows a lack of true being joined to the real bridegroom, to, to the uh, Lord also, uh, also, my brothers, uh, it's the perspective 
how did this discernment come to these wise? And then I want to allude to what you spoke the last two days. What stands between the oil and the lamp is the wick, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. you spoke about the soul, which represents the mind and the heart. Yeah. While the holy, while the oil is available, well, the oil is available for you. Yes, it is. But you, you have to. It has to be trimmed, right? That that yeah. it has to be ready. And so right. it shows us too that there was a ready heart, because in order for the oil to work, the wick also has to be available or 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 prepared or trimmed, right? So yeah. we, we can also, uh, you know, also get an insight on that these five were ready, the others were not. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's good. No, so, that's that's all of that, right? And we could we could look at. There's so many ways you can minister this because it's so profound. If it wasn't so, it wouldn't be the words of Jesus, right? I mean, this is the Lord <laughs> yeah. speaking, right? I mean, you can yeah. we could literally camp here from now until he comes back, right? Because there's so much depth in what he's trying to communicate in so many ways as the Spirit leads us. But I think that one of the things of the spirit of, of the nature of what's being revealed in these, these last seven podcasts has been has been a lot but 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 primarily as we get to these portions of the story now he's really honing in on like brother fernando just said too and you were mentioning about the soul and the spirit the individual's uh response the the individual person's response and how the holy spirit is moving because a lot of we've been getting some emails and, and text messages and and, you know, I've been hearing reports on this side, you know, with, with people that, that we're familiar with who tell us about others that have been listening, that the that the reaction to what's being said and what's being taught has been wide and varying. But there is a consistent thing that's beginning to happen, and that is that more often than not, what we are hearing is that the Word of God has begun to change lives and hearts and minds and bring them into places of prayer, bring them into places of of reflection, bring them into places of witnessing and evangelizing and sharing with other people. It's a beautiful thing that's happening. And we've also had some others say, man, those dudes are crazy. I don't want to listen to that. <laughs> 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 Which is all right, too, you know. Uh, but whatever. Because we're not in it to build our, a church. We're not in it to build our own kingdom. We're not asking for money. All we want to do is talk about God. And we believe God is revealing some things. So let's move along quickly because because what they go on to say is we, we we come to the conclusion that that we can't give of our oil, and that's what we were talking about yesterday. This fellowship, at this moment, at this time, what's happening is that they come to the conclusion: I cannot fellowship with these other five anymore. And if I was to yes. give you something, it would deplete something that I have and have acquired. There's a cost involved. But but what Jesus begins to reveal here, and what they were literally saying is, unless there's not enough, and we talked about that, that means to have a barrier, to erect a wall or a barrier of light. And, 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 and so Jesus is revealing in that, that as they go out onto the road now to go meet the bridegroom, what they're literally revealing is that, that there'll be like a barrier or a bubble of light that will come around, hallelujah, that's going to come around God's people. It's going to take care of you and your families and your loved ones and, and those that you're praying for. You know, I feel this right now. You know, there are those people that worry that their loved ones won't be saved. Well, I want to encourage you with this. 
because Paul talked about a midnight. In, in, or Luke did when he recorded the event of Paul and Silas is when they were in the jail. Remember, they were all locked up. And he says, and at midnight, they began to sing praises to God. And and then it says at midnight when they were singing praises to God and, and the other prisoners heard them that there was a great earthquake and, and the prison doors opened up, which is all very symbolic. But when you read the story there in the book of Acts, the jailer comes running in because he thinks yes. everybody's escaped, right? He's going to kill himself because he knows he's going to get in a lot of trouble because everybody escaped. And Paul says, no, don't do Don't harm yourself. And, 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 and he was so moved by what he witnessed and knew it was God moving that he said, uh, what must I do to be saved? You know, what must Hallelujah. I do? Because he, right? And so I want to encourage the people, even at the midnight hour, God's able to shake those prison doors open and get a hold of that one that you love because what paul told him was believe on the name of the lord jesus christ and listen to what he said you and your house will be saved well his house wasn't there it was just him right but he was basically saying god is in the business of saving so i don't want anyone to get the idea that we're like you know axing off an entire group of people that's not what we're saying we're talking on much, much larger spiritual senses, but the the truth is, bottom line, this is the day. Today is the day. The midnight hour, we have scripture in the Bible teaching us that at the midnight hour, there is also the greatest uh, outpouring of evangelistic salvation that takes place in many of those stories. And, and it is meant to encourage you because you're saved. Your prayer for your loved one will be answered. I've seen it time and time again. I've seen grandmothers go to their grave having not seen what they prayed come to pass. But after they their prayers are alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, David said, you have saved every one of my tears in a bottle. Hallelujah. Every yeah. tear I've ever yeah. shed, you, you collected it because he Lord will answer God. it. Your prayers live on even when you're not here. So don't be, don't yeah. be afraid that, you know, your consecration to God. Remember the story of Rahab, right? And the children of, of Israel, when they came into Jericho before the city was destroyed and they went into the promised land, they told Rahab, you hang this scarlet colored thread outside your window and you go get everybody you love and everybody you care about. You bring them in the house. And, and when we come in, and the destruction falls, you're going to be saved when we see that scarlet colored thread. Rahab was the one who did the deed, but it opened up a promise that if she would gather those that she loved, they would be saved as well. And that's what we're going to see. People are coming back to the Lord. Just this last year, man, I've prayed and prayed about so many different things, and I know many of you out there have too, but I have seen answers to my prayers that are so specific, which I won't go into, they're just absolutely incredible. Things that, that couldn't have happened 12 months before, suddenly they're all happening. So I want to encourage right. you, pray for them. Now, what do they do? They tell them to go and to buy, uh, to, to go buy their oil from those that sell. And, and like we talked about yesterday, uh, <laughs> Jesus, again, is giving us clues here to the timing. He's giving us timing. We know that in the midnight hour, just before the coming of the Lord, that what the Bible predicts is that a, a global 
economy will emerge. And so what he's saying here and what we're witnessing here is those that go away to buy, that is that church that falls away. That is that false church that goes and participates in a system that will require the mark of the beast to, to enter into goods and exchanges. And that's what he's revealing here. He's revealing the wise are going to be taken by the Lord. The foolish are going to become part of that system. Brother Jeremy, will you read Revelation chapter 13, verse 16, so the people know what we're talking about here? Because you cannot buy or sell just before the Lord comes, except you participate in that diabolical system that is already well underway right before our eyes. Are you there in Revelation 13? Yes, I am. And he calls it all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. So that no man may what? Buy or sell, right? Yes, so that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So there we see in the book of Revelation what what buying and selling is going to be uh, entailing. In the book of Revelation, what's revealed is at the midnight hour when the system is fully realized, those that buy and sell have to do so by becoming part of that system. And this is what Jesus is referencing here. Because understand, again, this parable is about the end of the world. Matthew 24, 3, it's the third question asked that the parable is about the end of the world. Because verse 10 goes on to say, once those separation takes place and that false church becomes part of that system, what does it say in verse 10, Brother Jeremy? Yeah, uh, Matthew, it says... Uh, yes, sorry, sorry, Matthew 25. Yeah, no worries. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. And the door was shut. So notice what happens. When they separate and that foolish church goes off into the system, which the book of Revelation is predicting is that Antichrist system, it's that global system involving buying and selling economics, it is the thing that will enslave the whole world. And those of you who have been paying attention as of late, you know there is a great push toward that right now. It is one of the chief components as to what we believe is taking place in the destabilizing of the United States economy, the bringing it to its knees. We haven't actually seen it in its fullness yet, but in the next several weeks and, and couple months, you're going to see some devastating economic things take place, quite possibly unless the Lord intervenes. Because what is being pushed for is is the surrendering of, of nation-state economy. And they're using whatever they can to destabilize the global market. Because what they, what they actually want to do is to unify the planet. That's what the Bible predicts in the, in the book of Revelation. And Jesus draws our attention to it here. If you can see it, he's revealing that the foolish will become part of that system because they cannot buy they cannot sell but here's the timing of the lord in verse 10 and it's and it's and it's the hope when it happens sometime within their going 
into the system and and sometime uh before they go by and become part uh, they go to be participating in this this revelation 13 uh scripture we just read the buying and the selling which requires the mark of the beast jesus comes and takes his church now he doesn't give us a specific you know day or moment or hour as a matter of fact he goes on to say you better watch because you don't know the day or the hour but sometime between now and this separation and the and and the false church becoming part of this economic global antichrist system he's going to come and he's going to take his bride and they're going to go in notice what he says the bridegroom comes they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door is shut he's using particularly descriptive language to reveal to us that the age of grace has come to an end from this point on as we get into the rest of the scripture you'll see that he's now beginning to turn his attention and 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 veiled if you will for those who are aren't studied in prophetic scriptures he's actually referencing what will be his ultimate judgment or his the the pouring out of his wrath because notice how he changes uh reference of himself from from one that is a bridegroom in verse 10 to he calls himself in verse 13 what brother jeremy can you read that yes it says watch therefore for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the son of man cometh he changes the phrasing of what he calls himself he's no longer a bridegroom but when he refers to himself now, after he's taken his bride, he calls himself the son of man. And there's there's a reason that he does that. And and you'll find that in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Would you go over there real quick, Brother Jeremy? <clears throat> yes. Daniel chapter Daniel's... 7, verse 13. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm there. I'm going to read it. All right. So check this out. Uh Notice how he's, yeah, in verse 13, can you read that? Yes. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. The Ancient of Days is, is the Father God, the Son of Man is Jesus. Verse 14, he says what? What was given to the Son of Man? There was given there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So when we when we see him in in Matthew twenty five refer to himself as the son of man he's using the title that's reserved specifically for the one who comes and possesses the kingdom daniel refers to it it is the conclusion of the end of the world it is when he returns and takes full authority of the planet as it's given to him as his father and the title under which he does it is known as the son of man so when we see in matthew 25 that the bride has been taken a separation has been occurring 
the false church goes off and becomes part of that beast antichrist economic global system. The bridegroom comes and takes his bride to protect us and then begins the process of instituting the wrath of God. That's why they address him in verse 11. Afterward came also the other virgins, Matthew 25, 11, saying, Lord, Lord. It's interesting phrasing that the Lord uses in his story because the word Lord is absolute supreme authority. It speaks of the Father. It speaks of the Son. It speaks of the judgment of God. They're addressing him as the supreme authority, and they're asking him to open the door for them. But he reveals, I don't even know who you are. You've never had a relationship with me. And then he reveals himself as the son of man because judgment and wrath is about to be poured out. And so he's saying, stay awake. You don't know the hour. Now, ah, man, we've been going for almost 55 minutes. And I still haven't got to what I want to get to. <laughs> so all of that, all of that, man, was 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 bringing us to this point, because there's a third part of that message in 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 verse six. And I don't know, brothers, are you up for this? Shall we keep going? Do it. All right. Do it. And I hope you all will listen. If not, pause it right here and and then come back a little later and listen to the rest. But listen, we're gonna go into the third part of Matthew 25 verse 6 and we're going to specifically deal with our times now and 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 I'm going to I'm going to lay some things out here for you and and I hope and pray uh that it at least causes you to think now would you read Matthew 25:6 again brother James yes and at midnight there was a cry made behold the bridegroom cometh go ye out to meet him. There's that unusual phrase that we were talking about. It's the third part of the message that happens at the midnight hour. It is it is the mastery of the master and how he reveals things to his church and something that he's drawing our attention to. It, there's a mystery there because he says, go ye out to meet him. This is something that we have to consider. Now, this is part two of our message. Now, listen. This is not intended to frighten anybody, <laughs> uh, but it is intended to warn and to wake us up. In Matthew 25, 6, which we just read, it's the third part of the message, like I just said, and the Lord is drawing our attention to it. He uses the phrase, go ye out to meet him. The voice says, go ye out. But what we're asking the question, and and, and, and maybe he's drawing our attention to something, which can only be understood in other portions of the scripture now. But again, he understands that what he's referencing is the end of the world. It is the third question that was asked, Matthew 24, 3, what is the sign of the end of the world? And so when he's revealing the story and telling the story in connection to answering the end of the world question, he also knows that there's yet to be a Bible written called the New Testament. And he also knows that there will be a book of Revelation that will be revealed. And so to understand exactly what he means, I sense that he was referencing that end-time generation that would come across these scriptures and begin to understand what it was and what clues were being left. So he says, go ye out. I believe the answer to what he means, go ye out, can be found in the book of Revelation. Because 
Go out of what? <laughs> Go out of where? Leave mm-hmm. what? And so let us look, because I believe the answer can be found in the book of Revelation, chapter 18. Would you turn over there, Brother Jeremy? Revelation, chapter 18, and we're going to be in Revelation from here on in. Okay. Those of you who have your Bibles, and we're going to go as quick as we can. And uh, I think it's going to fascinate you, and I think it's going to challenge you. Revelation chapter 18, what does it say, brother? Starting with verse 1. Verse 4, please. Verse 4. It says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. All right, so first of all, what do we notice here? In Matthew 25, verse 6, at midnight, uh, there was a cry made or a voice, right, was heard. And and in and, and that threefold message is, behold, the bridegroom cometh and go you out to meet him. Revelation chapter 18, verse 4 speaks of a voice being heard. And the voice is the same thing that the voice says at the midnight hour in Matthew 25, verse 6, go out. But now more light is being given here because I believe this is what's being spoken here is what are they going out of at the midnight hour at the end of the world? It's go out of her. Isn't that what it says? Come ye out of her? Yes. My people. Now, who is this her? Who is this her? Oh, Jesus, help me here. It has been a mystery for 2,000 years. All kinds of books have been written about her. All kinds of speculation, all kinds of theological discussion throughout the ages. But let's just take a look at her description. Who is this her that we're supposed to come out of? Remember what Jesus said, the, the voice would say, the cry at midnight would say, come out of her. And here in Revelation 18, 4, a voice is crying out, come out of her, my people. So we ask the question, who is this her? And like I said, it's been a mystery for almost 2,000 years. But let's look at her description. Brother Jeremy, can you read to us Revelation 17, verse 1 through 3? Yes. There we go. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads, and ten horns. Well, let me just draw your attention really quickly here. When it says, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns, he's not talking about the woman. He's talking about the beast that she's riding, right? Mm-hmm. So he carried me away, verse 3, in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman. What does she do? She sits upon what? a scarlet-colored beast, which is full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So we have two distinct things happening here. 
We're asking the question, what did Jesus mean when he revealed that at the midnight hour a cry would be made to go out and meet him? We've taken you to Revelation chapter 18, 4, and we see that same cry being made. And the cry now is, come out of her. We ask the question, go out of what? Revelation 18, 4 answers our question, come out of her. My people, the wise. And then we ask the question, well, then who is this her that we're supposed to come out of? We talked about it being a well-debated subject for the last 2,000 years. And so now we've come to Revelation 17 to identify who this her is. In verse 1, he's called the great whore. And her judgment is being announced in verse 1. Revelation 17, 1, let's take a look. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials. He talked with me saying unto me, come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great whore. That's her description. She sold herself for goods, and she sits upon many waters. So the first clue that we have about this, and again, don't lose sight of what we're talking about here. We're talking about the wise, the foolish. We're talking about uh, the, the parable of Matthew 25. We're talking about the last part of the message that's given in Matthew 25, 6, where a command is given to go out and meet the Lord. That, that alerts us to Revelation 18, 4, where the same kind of phraseology is used. And so what we're putting forth here is what Jesus is revealing is that those who will go out to meet him must leave something. They must come out of something. And Revelation chapter 18, verse 4 reveals to us that the something that they're going to have to come out is a her. And we ask, what is the her? And we talked about it being a mystery for the last couple thousand years. And so we've decided to let's take a look at some other clues here and get a description of her. She's called the great whore. And what's revealed to us is that her judgment time has come. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1, Come and I will show unto thee the judgment of this great whore. Her judgment is announced. And, and at the end, understand, remember, when John is having this revealed to him, it was 2,000 years ago. So when we get to the Revelation 17, 1, he's talking about the end of time, the end of the age. Because what's about to follow in 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, is all about the end. And Jesus, his parable of the five wise and the five foolish, foolish, at the same time, is all about the end. And so scripture begins to unfold before us here. We're being called to come out of something and go meet the bridegroom at a midnight hour when darkness is coming and the spirit of the destroyer has also been released as we likened it to the Passover connection, which Jesus was referring to when he talks about midnight. So we're coming out of a her, his people. But who is she? She's described as the great whore, and what is being announced to John is that she's about to be judged. In the end, again, John is carried into the far-flung future, and he's witnessing the culmination of all the ages. But there's this woman, and his people are in her, and his people are being warned. To come out of her, to come out of everything that she represents. 
because she's reached such a stage that she has now become the habitation of every foul spirit and every devil that can be imagined. But who is she? She's called the great whore. Her judgment is being announced. Now, her location is given in verse 1. It says, I will show unto thee, 17.1, Revelation, this judgment that's coming on this mystery woman, this great whore, and what is her location? She sits upon many waters. Another clue. The many waters where she sits is revealed in Revelation 17, verse 15. Brother Jeremy, would you read that to us? Because the angel reveals to John there what the waters are symbolize of this great whore, this woman. Yes. Revelation seventeen fifteen. He saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples, and multitudes, and nations, and tongues. Now, now note something very interesting here. There is a distinction being uh, which is now being made between the woman and this beast as we get into the rest. But how she's identified and her location is, is, is a, it, really what she is, brethren. Because remember, there was an ancient Babylon which took Israel captive, right? And, 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 and that Babylon was judged. So what we are looking at here is the spirit of Babylon that has come to rest and, and, and it's come to rest upon a geographical location that is made up of what the angel calls waters. And then he reveals further right here in 1715 that those waters are made up of peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So it's a conglomeration of all these things. And if you want to look at it in a particular way, the question would be asked then, this spirit of Babylon that has come to rest on this particular location is, and where she will sit, is made up of a nation that is comprised of many peoples, many multitudes, many nations, and many tongues. <laughs> now, <clears throat> a distinction is being made. Look at what is revealed in Revelation seventeen thirteen again. Read that, uh, uh, excuse me, seventeen three again, would you, Brother Jeremy? Look what's yes. being revealed. It says... Uh... So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Again, what's being distinctive here is that the woman and the beast are being identified as two separate things. Do you see that? Yes. Okay, now the woman sits upon the scarlet-colored beast. The woman is called Mystery Babylon, right? Isn't that what she goes on to be called? And I think it's verse 5, right? What does he say about her? And, upon her? and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. John is seeing a, the spirit, the mother of harlots, and it comes to rest in a geographical location made up 
of peoples, tribes, multitudes, and tongues, of every nation of the face of the earth. But it is different and distinct from the geographical territory of the beast, which has ten horns and seven heads. The woman is called Mystery Babylon, and he says, I saw the woman. Listen to the phrase he uses in verse 3. Let's read it again. So he carried me away, 17.3, in the spirit, into the wilderness. And I saw a woman. What does she do? She sits upon a scarlet-colored beast. Notice the phrase, she sits on this beast, and the beast is also identified by color. It's scarlet-colored. Man, this is fascinating. Now listen. She sits upon this scarlet-colored beast. Now, have we seen this beast before? Yes. Take a look at Revelation chapter 13. So we can identify the beast before we start focusing in on this woman that we're supposed to come out of. Look at Revelation 13. What do we see there? Can you read that, Brother Jeremy? These have one mind and shall Excuse give me. their power. Excuse me. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. 13, verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. That's that beast we just read about in Revelation 17, right? The names yes. of blasphemy, the seven heads, the ten horns. And this is the beast that we talked about. For those of you who want to go back and, 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 and study some of our podcasts, we did a whole series on the Ten Kings uh, of, of the Beast of Revelation. You can, I forget how long ago it was now, eight weeks, ten weeks ago. But go look at it. And, and we really talked about the ten horns and the seven heads. But what we see in Revelation chapter 13, remember, Revelation 12 tells us that something happens on the planet at the end of time. And that's that the devil is cast down to the earth, knowing that he has but a short time, right? And then, and then our attention is turned to Revelation chapter 13, where we see how the, how the dragon, that old Lucifer, who's, that old Satan cast down to the earth, how he's going to go about attacking the church of the living God. And so what begins to happen is we see this beast begin to rise up out of the sea. Now, we know that the sea, the angel goes on to tell us, is, is the people of the world, is the, is the nations of the world. And so what appears to happen is what he's revealing, because all this is symbolic language, is this territory, this compilation, this global system made up of all the global empires that have come before it begins to rise up collectively as a desire for a global unified system out of the sea or the peoples of the world, the Gentile nations of the world. They begin to desire and clamor for this one world thing. It begins to rise up. Now, when we get to Revelation 17, and what John sees is a completely distinct territory or a completely distinct spirit known as the whore that sits on many waters. She's different. But, it's, but again, remember, the apostle is witnessing unfolding history here. He begins on the Isle of Patmos, 
and he ends with New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, right, in verse 21 and 22. So he's carried along throughout the length of history until the end of time. And so when we pick this up, and remember again, we're being focusing on the on, on that come out and go forth to meet the bridegroom phrase that's given in Matthew 25, 6, and we ask the question, what does that mean? Come out of what? And so we went over to Revelation 18, right. 4, and we, and, and we looked at that, come out of her. And so now we began to say, well, who's this her we're supposed to come out of? And now our attention is being focused to this particular person, but she's being divided. In other words, there's a woman, there's a beast. Now, she sits on a scarlet-colored beast, and again, like I said, uh, it's that beast that rises up out of Revelation chapter 13, 1. For those of you that aren't familiar with these scriptures, go back and study them and read them. Because I know I'm going fast, but I want you to, you know, you pause and look, read it. Now, look, what the Apostle John is witnessing in the book of Revelation is the unfolding of history. Now, let's go a little deeper, because what is revealed is that the woman is separate from the beast. It is a beast. Read verse 17, verse 8. Because the beast is described. Would you read that, Brother Jeremy? 17. Yes. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not. And yet is. So John gives us clues as to who the beast is. The beast is something that used to be, something that will not be, but something that will be again. And the beast that he's he begins to reveal here is now in the far flung future is going to be ridden by this woman but that's why he goes on in verse 9 to say this is going to be tricky verse 9 when we're trying to identify this woman because he says here is the mind that hath wisdom would you read that brother jeremy and here is the mind which hath wisdom the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth so there you go another clue again it requires wisdom it requires understanding of history, and it requires understanding the symbolism that is being used by the great apostle, the same kind of symbolism that he learned from the Lord in every parable that the Lord gave, especially as it pertained to end-time events. So what we learn here is that this, this beast, which we saw, is a system and it's comprised of seven heads and ten horns rising up out of collective humanity in Revelation chapter 13, 1. It's now identified later here in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, as something that was, uh, that is no longer, it will, it will come to nothing, but then it will be again in the future. That's what's being revealed to John. And it is to this, this system, this thing that was, that won't be, and that will be in the future again, that the woman, John says, in, in 17 verse 9, she comes, and this is where she sits. She sits on, on this beast. She, she is identified as sitting on a beast, and he says, here is the mind that has wisdom, Revelation 17, 9. The seven heads 
are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, there's only one place geographically that existed which was called a beast in, in Daniel exceedingly fierce that was, it came to nothing, but is predicted to rise again in the future. And the seven mountains identify its geographic location so that, it, so that we can identify where the woman would come to sit on in the future. The geographic location of the seven mountains or the seven hills, as they call it in, in other places, is the is the ancient city of the Roman Empire. She sits on seven mountains and what's being identified here is Rome, the seven the city of the seven mountains. But not the Roman Empire of John's day, but the territory which is symbolic of where the Roman Empire had dominion. He draws our attention to the capital city but he talks about the mind having wisdom. He's being flung into the far future near the end of the world. And he's saying, understand that somewhere along the line, a woman is going to emerge and she's going to sit on many waters. The spirit of Babylon, that is, will come to rest on a territory that is made up of many people, many tribes, many tongues, many nations. In other words, at the time that John is being sh shown, she is dominating. She is riding that part of the world which is the place of the old Roman Empire. What she rides is what we would call today uh, the European Union. She exerts power over the general territory of what we call today the European Union. The European Union is the re-emergence of what once was the Roman Empire. And what John was being shown was that it would emerge in the last days again, and that in the last days, it would hate this woman that dominates it by her influence over it. it she rides it. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but what's what's interesting in Revelation 17 verse 3 remember is that when she comes to sit upon it Revelation 17 3 let's take a look he says he carries me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman that's the first thing he sees then he sees what she does she comes and sits upon a scarlet-colored beast. Now, this is very interesting because this is a further clue. Remember what Rome became? It was great, but then it became not. In other words, it, it wasn't what it used to be. It transitioned from its world-dominating power, it was, into a different kind of power, but not exerting that power. So for all intensive purposes, it is not. In other words, it would diminish in its military and political power in that sense as a, as a power broker of a dominating empire to one that would morph into the Holy Roman Empire. Right. It became the Catholic Church, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And probably and probably more powerful, uh, and spiritually speaking, right? Uh, and more yeah. from from being from being a military might uh, with Rome to being a a, a religious might, <laughs> so to speak. Correct. So yeah, yeah, it morphed. It morphed. And it's one of the reasons that it's one of the reasons that when describing that fourth beast in Daniel's uh, vision, he doesn't really attribute an uh, an animal to it. Yeah, he just calls it a beast. He just calls it a beast, right? Right. And he says it's exceedingly fierce, and that it has iron claws. And iron is the symbol of the Roman Empire, right? In the original vision that Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter two. For those of you who are familiar with prophetic scripture, and those of you who aren't, go back and read it. The Roman Empire right. is described in a vision that was given to King Nebuchadnezzar, which is very interesting because Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of the Babylon of that time, literal Babylon. And what he sees is himself sitting on top of this image, right? That's for another day. But listen, Revelation chapter 17, 3, again, remember, it says about this woman that she sits upon a scarlet-colored beast. It's a further clue. Remember what, what Rome became. It became the Holy Roman Empire. It became the Catholic Church. It went from a military power to a religious power. So in essence, when he says it, it was and is not, he's talking about two different uh, uh, phases of its evolution, only that it will rise again, right? It shall be. And he's saying, because again, remember, we're talking about the end of the world. And we're talking about that phrase that Jesus used in Matthew 25, 6, where he says that the voice would say, come out. And that, that alerts our attention to the end of the world that is revealed in the book of Revelation, where, where his people are told to come out of this woman, this mystery Babylon. But who is she? Because she comes to sit upon this scarlet-colored beast. In other words, she comes to rule and sit upon the territory that once was the Holy Roman Empire or the, or the military power of, of the Roman Empire, both. When she sits upon it and when it begins to hate her, it's referred to as a scarlet-colored beast. Scarlet is the color of the Catholic Church. It's the most predominant color. And what was shown was that this mystery Babylon in the end of time is going to be hated not just by a beast, but by a scarlet-colored beast, which seems to imply that there's going to be some sort of reemergence of the Catholic Church and a reemergence of the old Roman Empire from where the Antichrist will rule and reign for three and a half years. And what is shown in this mystery Babylon in the end of time is that the woman is going to be hated by the scarlet-colored beast that now has come back into power both religiously, politically, and militarily. And it will be moved upon, that is, the woman will be moved upon and destroyed for the beast kingdom is that revived Roman Empire from where the Antichrist and the false prophet will reign. But mystery Babylon has to be removed. Who is she? I'll let you guys decide. 
you people who are listening. <laughs> but, but let's just read a little further. Because Revelation 18, verse 7 through 11, it, it tells us what's going to happen to her. That's just a big mystery, right, Brother Marty? It's and, and I know, I know, uh, uh, we, I know you wanted to get all this information in before we close, but that's always been the big question: uh, where where is America mentioned in Scripture concerning prophecy? It's always been the big question because we are the biggest player in these end times uh, concerning uh, issues in the Middle East, things that are transpiring in our nation, the economy. I mean, America is the epicenter of all things in the earth right now. And and where is her predominant dominance? The whole world, right? The whole world, correct. And and and, and she's hated. She dominates the markets of the world. She is the great whore. She sucks up everything. That, that this woman, I haven't said, you know, who I think she is, but it's pretty obvious as we go along here. What is the description of her now? And again, you who are listening, don't get all freaked out. Don't freak out on what we're saying. And, and, and you know, you study this and you come to your own conclusion. I'm not going to tell you what to think, but I will read you the scripture and say, hmm, I wonder if this sounds like anyone we know that is riding a European beast right now, that that what Jesus is revealing and hinting at in the parable of the five wise is that we're going to have to come out of her in every way possible because something's coming to this woman and its origin is in old Rome. That is the old kings of the earth, the royal houses, the old Roman empire, the rise of... Uh, of a of a of an ecumenicanism and 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 a scarlet colored beast, it's going to turn on her. And it's insidious. It's it's stealthy. It's moving in the shadows. And 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 judgment is coming to her. That's what John saw about this woman. She's unique, and at where she resides is unique amongst the nations for it appears that she sits where a nation is made up of every tongue, every tribe, every kind of people and nation state comes to rest into one place and becomes special and unique. And that's where her spirit comes to rest. But her dominance and her authority is that she sits upon this scarlet-colored beast, which we've already identified is the old Roman Empire territory, which we call today Western and Eastern Europe, really. And it, it comprises what we call today the European Empire or Union. So let's just hear what she sounds like, because he goes on to describe her. And could you read that for us, Brother Jeremy? Yes, verse, verse 7 through 11, right? Yes, please. Okay. How much she hath glorified herself and lived delicately. De Can you help me with deliciously. that word? Deliciously. Deliciously. Now wait. Okay, now wait here because because as you read this, understand again, we're, we're, we're comparing Scripture with Scripture and we're talking about the end of the world. And so 
This is this woman has reached her apex. She is a dominating spirit. She's come to rest and is made up of tribes, tongues, nations, and peoples. That's where her spirit is resting. And and her nation or where she sits is made up of every kind of language, every kind of tribe on the face of the earth. She's made up of all of them. And she sits there. But her dominating influence is on a scarlet-colored beast, which is the geographic territory of the old European uh, of the, the old Roman Empire, which today is called the European Union. So what John is revealing here as we go on in this description is of a fully grown, fully manifested now, end of time, particular nation. Now listen, go ahead and read what she sounds like. How much she had glorified herself and lived deliciously so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her. For no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. And from there the description goes on to every kind of good, every kind of service, every kind of precious cloth, every kind of, of, uh, of, of metal, of iron, every kind of spice every kind of animal, even the souls of men at one time in her history, slavery, every kind of fruit, everything. This woman is a consumer spirit. That's why she's identified as a whore. But what she returns to the rest of the world, the Bible talks about her as making drunk the nations with her fornications, her sorceries, and her adulteries. She has polluted the world with her spiritual seduction. She has reached full age, and she sits upon many waters. That is a nation made up of tribes, tongues, and peoples. She dominates the economies of the world. And the mm. beast, that is the European uh, territory of the old Roman Empire where she where she dominates, hates her. But God has put it in their heart to destroy her. And the Bible is revealing here that she's going to be burnt with fire. And that so massive and complete will be her judgment that the merchants of the earth, verse 11, are going to weep. Why? 
because there is no other consumer nation like her. For no man right. will buy their merchandise anymore. Who is she? I want to say something because what we are having revealed to us here is something that is so astounding and so veiled. And because these things have been so manipulated throughout the years, such a hypothesis even being put forth here for those can, who can discern what I'm <laughs> what we're talking about here uh, is just something that is just in, in, unfathomable, especially to the compromised church. But what we are seeing here is something so extraordinary because remember how she's described in Revelation 17, verse 3, she sits upon a scarlet-colored beast at the end of time. She's dominating. And so what that is revealing and what that is, is, is veil, a veiled reference to, we know that the scarlet is the representative color of the Catholic Church. And so it appears that what the apostle is having revealed to him is that the component of this revived ancient territory of the Roman Empire will also have at the end of time a reemergence. Remember, he was, he is not, and yet he shall be. A reemergence of, a, of, of an additional color added to the beast. It's no longer just a military power. It also has a spiritual component. And what the Bible goes on to reveal is that the collective shadowy plans and plots begin to turn as the judgment of the great whore has now reached its fullness. And that the origin of the beginning inception of her torment and calamity described as plagues and famines and death and mourning begins to have its origin at a precise time in the future, as John was seeing it, that has its origin in the collective diabolical thoughts of what once was the old Roman Empire. And it's going to be merged together with the scarlet or the Roman Catholic Church that you will see what John was being showed is that a religious figure that will emerge out of Rome will bring together and merge together with a political, military, economic system. Go global, if you will. He's known as the false prophet in Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. He rises up out of the earth having two horns like a lamb, Revelation 13, 11, but he speaks like a dragon. We, sh we should be identifying and looking for one like that to rise. And I just put that out there. Have we seen anyone like that emerge from the Catholic Church in recent times? Something extraordinary happened a couple days ago. America has been going through this pandemic. America, uh, the chief economic engine of the world, has been brought to her knees. She is now experiencing a coordinated effort to remove and destabilize anything that has to do with her history, to burn down her churches. The plague has been released on the land. The economy is shaking. 
And into all of this destabilization, the shutting down of her churches, something extraordinary happened a couple of days ago. Because all this chaos that we're witnessing, remember what Jesus said, that the voice would say, come out of her, or go out of her and go meet the bridegroom. Because as we have been comparing scripture with scripture, some judgment of a biblical sort is coming upon this woman that we just read as described in Revelation chapter 17. And Jesus is saying to his wives, you're going to have to come out of her, my people. You're going to have to not partake of her dainties. You're going to have to sever yourself from her sins so that you don't receive of her judgment that's eminent. And so the warning has come. Now listen to this. A couple of days ago, we're talking about because I believe this is I believe that that this this current pope that we have, if you've been paying any attention, this guy. He denies there's a hell. He says it's not his business to deal with sexual perversion and 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 sins and so forth and so on. That 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 even atheists can be saved. He goes over to the Muslim world and, and bows down and kisses the feet of the, the caliph, the head guy over there in Sunni religion. He signs a pact with all the religions of the world. He just had a ceremony celebrating Mother Earth and bringing idols right into the church. I'm just putting it out there. And then all this calamity has broken forth on our country. And I believe that it is the beginning of a judgment that is going to culminate with something so horrific. And it is a, it is a direct result of her defiance in the face of God. This has come upon her precisely because she has allowed herself to become uh, that, 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 that habitation of devils and that hold of every foul Spirit, that cage of every unclean and hateful bird. And she has made all the nations of the world to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her insatiable desire to consume their goods. Mm. Well, listen. Listen. So all this is breaking out, and, and, and the preachers are silent. No one can see what's happening, but what's coming, what's coming is horrific. Yeah. Now, into this, the president of the United States, just to add further weight to this, was, was given a warning last week. He was given a warning uh, through the third most powerful man in the Catholic Church. When the president is warned, the nation is warned. And what was revealed came from uh, from from uh, from the third most powerful man in the Vatican, or used to be until he retired recently. Uh, he, his name is is Cardinal Vigano. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he used to be the papal nuncio. He was the dispatch nuncio. He was the ambassador to Washington D.C. He was in charge of running all the embassies of the Catholic Church around the world. He's the third most powerful man in the Vatican. 
He recently sent a letter to the president of the United States, which the president himself retweeted on his Twitter feed to over 55 million people. <laughs> wow. And what he told, what Cardinal Vigano told the president was that what was happening to the United States of America has its origins in the Vatican in Rome and amongst the elite royal houses and, and elitist globalist uh, deep state societies of the old Roman Empire. He called it the deep state and the deep church. And he said that they were now systematically and have been over the last several years, and it is now happening on the soil of America, that they are working together to specifically destroy the United States of America. And what we are seeing now and what began at the from 2020's uh, New Year's Day till this present moment, he says, has begun the push towards the destruction of the United States of America. That's what he said. This is not some little preacher out in, in southern hills of Kentucky. This was the third most powerful man in the Vatican writing this letter to the president and warning him, who, by the way, this Cardinal Vigano has had to go into hiding for fear of his life. And one of the things that he said, he referenced Satan himself. He referenced Baphomet. And in his letter, he changes up what he's writing. And he finishes basically by saying, what they are trying to do is salve coagula. He used the Latin phrase, salve coagula. But what he was referring to was the symbol of Baphomet, which is the satanic symbol. He was literally alerting the president of the United States that the devil has come after your nation. And the mm -hmm. word salve coagula is written on the arms of Baphomet. That's what he was referring to. The, on the arm that points upwards, the symbol of the devil that is used by all the Luciferian societies and the elite shadow places of this world. Hear it if you want to. Ignore what we're saying if you want to. I don't care. I'm just putting it out there. The finger that points up has written on it, tattooed on it, salve, this ancient symbol. And the finger that points down has on it the Latin coagule. And literally what that means in Latin is salve, what he was telling the president is they're seeking to dissolve the United States, dissolve. The salve means to dissolve, and coagula means to coagulate or to reform a society. He was sending right. him symbolic language to tell him the days of your nation are numbered and that what is happening is a – and you can read this. I challenge you, you go to – Go to LifeSite News. It's a Catholic news site, and it, and the whole letter is printed right there, so you can read it. It's been translated from Latin oh, no. into English. <laughs> and you can. Are you there already? <laughs> yep, <laughs> I am already. And, and you can read it there. He talks about the sons of light, the sons of darkness. He talks about the judgment that's coming. He talks about the dark forces that are arrayed against this country right now. But what the backslidden church and the backslidden preachers and the backslidden society cannot see right now is that judgment is approaching the entire nation. And she has brought this upon herself. And we take no glee, we take no joy, we take nothing like that uh, as, as, a, as, as an enthusiastic hurrah. I lament. You've heard us cry. I broke down crying yesterday talking about this stuff. 
I've choked up several times trying to talk about this stuff to you today because I know what he's saying. I know what's being revealed. I know what the scripture is telling us is coming upon this country and it's begun. And God is calling his people out of Babylon, if you will, out of that spirit that has corrupted the world, that has taken the most innocent of our children and thrown them to the devils of, of transvestitism and transgenderism and, and gender identity and gender fluidity and, and to confusing the children in, 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 at the youngest ages. It has warped the minds of our youth over decades now to what we have is roving bands of, of demonically possessed children who want to tear down the very nation that was handed to them under biblical principles, but long ago has forsaken those things. And what is happening is so extraordinary. And only God can prevent this from coming, but one day or another, it's going to come. And that's why Jesus was drawing our attention to the midnight hour and used that phrase, go out. And he's calling us to separate ourselves. We're going to be separated from the false church. They're going to become part of that system where they buy, sell, and trade. But his people, somewhere within the next several months or years, not too many years from now, because the Bible redefines a particular time period, the Great Tribulation being three and a half years, he's going to come for his bride. That's what he said in verse 10, that while they go, the bridegroom comes and takes his bride, and it says, they that were ready. Here is the mind that has wisdom, right? So in other words, at the time that John is being shown these things, it is our time. He was, he was pushed into the future. And that letter from Vigano, you go to LifeSite News and you look up Trump retweets Vigano letter, and, and you'll be able to click on there and see the whole letter that he wrote to the president of the United States. God was laying forth what's actually happened. And by giving it to the president, he gave it to the whole nation. Who is she? I'll let you decide. But now remember the parable of the wise. Look and see the language. Remember the lamps, the oil, the wedding, the bridegroom, etc.? Brother Jeremy, turn over to Revelation 18, verse 23, as we close, get ready to close here. Yes, 1823. <clears throat> there you go. I'm ready. Go ahead. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Again, he's talking to a particular nation, but, but look what he's saying. He calls them Babylon, the mother of harlot, that spirit that comes to rest on that nation that's made up of every tribe, every tongue, every multitude, every language. There's only one place like that. I'll let you decide where that is. And it ain't Mexico. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so what he says here, and that's remember what Jesus said, while they went to buy, bridegroom came. Look what he's saying here. Because I believe that, that before this horrific event we're talking about, God's coming for his church. However long that is, if, it, if it's three years, four years, it's not very long from now. But he says, and he tells the woman, remember what we're talking about, oil in the lamp, right? 
Look what he says, the light of the lamp or the light of the candle will not be heard in you anymore at all. And the voice of the bridegroom. Who's the voice of the bridegroom? The one who makes midnight cry, right? The bridegroom is coming. I don't know if you can see any of this. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall no more be heard at all in thee. We're going to be hidden by him. And when the judgment comes in its fullness upon this territory we're referring to, it will be after the church has been protected by God in whatever way he sees fit. And if that means he comes at that time or he hides us, either way, until he comes, whatever it is, I'm not going to get into some eschatology debate with you, but what we're being promised here is that this voice, this conscience, this 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 declaration of this message will be short-lived to bring out his bride. She has to come out, and then that voice will cease to be heard in the land. It'll be given over to what it's going to be given over to, and it's going to be judged. Remember, when the foolish went to buy, the bridegroom comes to take away the bride. And it's said here, they're gone suddenly. How do we know that? How do we know they're going to be gone suddenly? Because of chapter 19, verse 1. After this. What happens, Brother Jeremy? Nine one. Nineteen one. Of uh, okay. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven, saying, "Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God." Remember what Jesus said when they went to buy the bridegroom came. What we're reading here in Revelation 18 is a fuller enlargement of that. Because as as the great whore that sits on many waters is about to come up under her judgment, he removes the, the ones with the light and the candle or the lamps. That it's not going to shine in her anymore. The voice of the bridegroom will, sh- will stop and the bride won't be heard anymore. Why? Because he's rescued us. He's come to get us. Verse 19, right? After this happens, he says, there's all these people in heaven, right? Are you seeing that? Amen. And then, yes. and then, and and then to further solidify what we're saying here, and that he's revealing in Matthew 25, read verse seven, brother Jeremy, 19:7. Are you there? Yeah, no, I am. I had to flip my page. Here we go. Let us be glad. Yeah. And rejoice and give honor to him. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb is come. And what and his wife what did she do? made herself ready. Let's mm-hmm. close with Matthew twenty five ten. Matthew twenty five ten. Can you Lord read that to it? Yes. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Amen. There's a lot more that Jesus is revealing in this story than we've ever known before. And I know this is a lot, and I know we've gone quite some time today, but you might want to you might want to pause your, your broadcast at 60 minutes and then pick up part two when you can, or you might just want to listen all the way through. But take your time and listen to what we're saying. 
and not what we're saying, but what the Word of God is appearing to tell us. There's so much here. I just hit bullet points on these things, but we can dig into these things and lay out a an explanation at much deeper levels that will make some things so undeniable that suddenly things are being made plain and open to us, and we have crossed into these days. Our country is in deep, deep trouble. The question is, do you have eyes to see, ears to hear, and is your lamp filled with oil? Are you discerning what is being said and what is happening all around us? And will you heed the call while we still can to adjust our lives accordingly, to trim the wicks of our soul, if you will, to come out of her and partake not of her sins? We cannot fellowship with darkness. These are serious times, and we pray that you will continue to fellowship with us as we go forward in these days because we're going to need each other and we're going to need to be connected to otherwise believers who hear the sound of his spirit which echoes in the deepest parts of their soul saying, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Let us go out to meet him. We love you and we pray we've given you enough <laughs> to get you through to Monday. <laughs> If we haven't scared you to death and you're never going to listen to us again, well, that's okay, too. We love you anyway. We're praying for you. But hopefully you'll join us again in these coming days. And until then, like Brother Jeremy says, keep looking up. Amen. Brother Jeremy, would you close this out with a word of prayer? Yes. Father, we thank you for your word today that has come uh, through these airwaves, Lord, that has come in our midst, Lord. We know that when we speak about these things, Lord, we speak about urgent matters that concern the very soul of man, Lord. And I yes. thank you for revealing these things, even unto babes, Lord, unto those that are hungry, Lord, in this hour, Lord. I pray that this word will resonate in our heart and in our spirit, that the very least it will cause us, Lord, to seek you, to search the scriptures, to search the word of God to hear what God is saying in this hour. Father, have mercy on our country, God. As we're heading, Lord, to a deeper and a darker hour, God, that, Father, because of the remnant that you have still here in this nation, Lord, that you would consider, Lord God, and, and continue to give us the freedom for the gospel to have free course, Lord, in this hour. Yes. Because it is needed, Lord. We pray for every ear that has heard, every person that has tuned in, Lord, that you are ministering in their hearts according to what they have heard today that are being challenged, Lord. Father, none of this is to be cause fear, but cause us only, Lord, to draw closer and closer to you in this hour. Father, we bless your word, Lord, and, and we bless you tonight, and we thank you for what you're going to do. Bless us as we go out to this weekend, Lord, that you would cover us and shield us with the blood of Jesus. And if yeah. you allow us back on Monday to continue to open up your word. And we thank you, we love you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May God bless you. May God keep you. Keep looking up.